Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, we join the search for the Ark and the mysterious ashes of the red heifer with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. SWRC.com is your online home for Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Archived radio programs, articles, headlines from the End Times videos, and our ever-expanding resource center filled with the latest books and DVDs are all found at SWRC.com. Visit today, SWRC.com. Now, let's join our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and today's guest, Lonnie Shipman. I'm holding in my hand a volume I never thought I would see. Beacon Street Press, the publishing arm of Southwest Radio Church, has produced Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, Finding the Ark and Ashes. Now, friends, this is a well-written and information-packed book on the temple and related issues. Will there be a future temple in Jerusalem? Where is the lost Ark of the Covenant? What are the ashes of the red heifer? For this program and the next, we're going to be visiting with the author, Dr. Lonnie Shipman. Lonnie, it's so good to visit with you once again. It's very kind of you to help me be a part of your show. You know, I'm really impressed with the endorsements this book has received. Dr. W.A. Criswell, former pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Dr. Eugene Merrill, a distinguished professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Jimmy Draper, President Emeritus of Lifeway, and our good friend, Dr. Carl Baugh, President, Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. So, wow, I'm really impressed. Plus the fact you are also a world-class concert pianist. Man, you have a lot of accomplishments. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. How did you get involved with studying the Temple, the Ark of the Covenant, and writing this wonderful book? Well, it's an interesting story. In my background, my father a pastor, was a pastor 67 years. My mother had a piano at a university, Baptist University, over 20 years. I studied to be a concert pianist and won many competitions, traveling internationally as a teenager. And then I was called to preach, which I was surprised about. I thought, what a strange thing, a pianist called to preach. So I thought, how could I then? I went to Bible College, seminary, and after graduating and trying to preach as an evangelist, I had the burden to somehow use my music for God also. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll try to take arrangements of hymns and combine them with classical pieces and go to Europe and preach. And I planned this in my first trip. And on the trip over there to Belgium and Holland, like in 1992, my father's closest friend in seminary, his friend Aubrey Richardson, and I was there when my mom and dad met. I've known Aubrey and his family all my life. Uh, he was there, and we were always growing up with our family. They graduated together in seminary, but Aubrey became the top engineer of the F-16 fighter jet program, mm. building the F-16 fighter jet from Fort Worth and later in Israel. He said, if you're going to Belgium, Holland, you get yourself on a plane and get over here to Israel. Hmm. I thought, well, I never thought about preaching in Israel. Wow. <laughs> I've been over there visiting a preacher, as a pastor might, but not preaching. So he wanted me to come. And through that, I was, went to preach in Belgium, Holland, and then also in Israel for six weeks. Hmm. While I was in Israel, I met many of the top rabbis and archaeologists, toured 80 to 11 Zedji Scroll Caves, many fascinating things, and came to find out the current details of what was going on. Toward rebuilding the temple and searching for the ark, and that really piqued my interest. 
Wow, well, it is an interesting story. So, are there one or two future temples in Bible prophecy? Well, that's one of the things I found was interesting. When I met the rabbis, they were arguing between each other. I think there's going to be one future temple. We've got to build a temple for the Lord to come back, for Messiah to come back. Oh, no, we have to wait till Messiah comes and he'll build a temple. And they really have two views. And looking at the Bible, I found there's two coming temples. One for the tribulation, which, of course, they'll believe in the false Messiah, probably unknowingly. And then later, the Lord Jesus will come and establish the true temple. Hmm. So will there also be a tabernacle with its pertinent furniture and accessories? Well, that's a very interesting question. Some people believe there's not even going to be a, another temple, but just a tabernacle only. But the Bible says there's going to be a temple and a tabernacle in Ezekiel 37. The Bible says there at the Valley of Dry Bones at the end of that chapter that they're going to rebuild the temple and erect the tabernacle again. And by erecting the tabernacle, it implies they'll have the attending furniture, you know, such as the table of showbread, Ark of the Covenant, those kind of things. Mm. And so there should be both. Mm. The Bible's clearly saying there'll be both at the time of the Lord coming back. What about the Jewish priests? Do they need the original Ark of the Covenant to renew the sacrifices? Well, the Jewish priests believe they, they need to go to the right place where the temple stands, where the temple stood in the Old Testament and rebuild at the same location. But they also think they have to use holy stone, for stone from the same mountain, which was done before. So they're going to probably use to solve that quarry where they used the stone before. And they are looking for the original Ark of the Covenant. It made another menorah. They say with 90 pounds of gold, this tall menorah, a seven-branch candlestick, and they're making other things to put in the temple, but they said they must have the original ark. The reason they believe they need the original ark is they think the presence of God resided over the ark of the Shekinah glory, and in their thinking to have God in the temple, they've got to really have the original ark, not just a copy of the ark. The location of the Lost Ark of the Covenant is very important. So where do you think the Lost Ark of the Covenant is, and and does anybody else know about it? Well, they've been looking for the Ark for many years, actually, (laughs) for a long time. Uh, I've read stories about them looking for the Ark over 100 years in different locations, and I list in my book at least 28 locations that they've been looking for the Ark in 10 countries. Now, they've actually been looking for the Ark, and some of the Ark's ideas are you might say a little outlandish or wacky. Some people believe things like the Knights Templar brought it to America or maybe to England or Ireland. Oh, this is a little bit far-fetched. But then there's other people who know of logistical things such as Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. or the Egyptians or, or Jeremiah maybe taking some out Nebo, possibly the, the theory of, of Ethiopia, many other more reputable theories. So I deal with all the theories, the main different courses of where it might be, and then talk about what they've really found. Well, friends, we're visiting with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He is the author of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, Finding the Ark and Ashes. Now, this is a book that dives deeply into the history and mystery of the kingdom and the rebuilding of the temple and related items. I would consider it an exhaustive study of this important topic. Words such as Israel, Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ashes of the Red Heifer are words that I am sure you have heard many times. What do they mean? What is it all about? Why the search for the Ark of the Covenant in 10 countries and 25 locations? 
and how these are related to Jesus Christ and the second coming. So this is a volume that will provide you with insight and inspiration. Give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. And like I say, this is a book that will challenge you and will fill you with knowledge inspiration, and I'm really excited about it. It's a great, great book. Lonnie, if the ark is found, can you look at it? Can you touch it? I mean, what will happen? Will a person die? Well, there's different theories about this, and um, I personally believe because the veil of the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom when the Lord Jesus was crucified, that we have access to God now. Once his sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice of the atonement was made, we now have free access to God. So I believe, personally, we can touch the ark. And so I told my brother this. He said, well, we'll wait and see if you touch it. If you live, if you live then I'll touch it. <laughs> I thought, what a funny thing. But I do believe, personally, you can touch the ark. But I know that they are planning, when they plan to find the ark, to get the qualified priest to go and pull it out and do it in the same way it was done in the Old Testament, carrying it, certain Levitical priests on their shoulders, covered with skins like it was in the Old Testament. Well, it seems to me from what you've just indicated about the location, about using the original ark and, and so on and so forth, it's pretty important that it, it be found if these sacrifices are going to continue and are going to satisfy the requirements of Jewish law. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes, the Jews want to reinstate their own temple so they can have a continual sacrificial service again like they had before. And they've been praying for all the time. They've been dispersed for the return of the Messiah and the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. It's part of their daily prayers. So they're very serious about this. What about the number of arcs? Are there two different arcs? When I started researching, I only knew of the main Ark of the Covenant. And then I kept reading repeatedly in rabbinical literature, the rabbis, the writings in the Talmud and Mishnah and some of this, that they were talking about two arcs. I thought that was rather strange. And then I started looking at the scriptures, and the scriptures specifically say, Bezalel made an ark, and Moses made an ark. Moses made one in Deuteronomy 10, and Bezalel made one in Exodus 32, I believe it is. After Moses went up to get the first Ten Commandments, he saw the heavenly ark in heaven, the temple, all this in heaven, and saw the pattern of what to make. So he came down to fashion. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Well, look at at his, like a sort of a pattern of what they would use. So Moses made one first, and then Bezalel later started making the furniture. He made the tabernacle and all the implements, and then made the ark last. But Moses was told to make the ark first. Now, the Jewish writings say that the Ark of Moses was the one that was taken into battle, and it was considered a battle ark, the one they would carry into, into battle to, to try to guarantee their success in battle. And the other ark, the one that Bezalel made, I think was more, more refined, more beautifully made, and Bezalel was apparently a, a jeweler who was specially gifted by God to make beautiful artwork and jewelry. And so he made all the gold and artwork in a really amazing way. And that's the one they left in the temple, the tabernacle and the temple. Moses' ark had the broken Ten Commandments, and the one Bezalel made for the temple had the complete Ten Commandments, the second set, as well as a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and then a vial of oil for anointing the, the kings and priests on the side of the ark, as well as the five books of the Pentateuch written in the handwriting of Moses. 
Well, what about the ashes of the red heifer? What are they specifically, and why are they important? Most people have never heard of the ashes of the red heifer, probably the least known of all of the early Jewish sacrifices. It was originally given in Numbers 19, after the Jews had sinned with the, with the golden calf, and then they were judged by God, and I think 30,000 of them, some large number died, and there were so many people dead in the desert, they had to bury them quickly, and there had to be a cleansing from sin and death. So God told them to take a red heifer, or basically like a cow, the only female offering in all the Old Testament, like this red heifer, sacrifice it and burn it completely. Most of them are partly burned, and they would usually eat part of the sacrifice. The person giving the sacrifice would eat a part, the priest would eat a part, but this one was completely burned. And then they used the ashes, a sprinkle of the ashes in the bowl of water, special water they would use to cleanse people, to sprinkle on them, to be ritually cleansed, to be purified. That way they could worship, they could go into the temple. So if they build the temple, they believe they cannot use the temple until the ground, the building, all the implements, and the people are sprinkled with the ashes of this earlier mm. red heifer. Will the temple be built before the Antichrist appears? What's the scheduling in regard to the appearance of the Antichrist? The Bible says the middle of the tribulation period, Jesus tells us, Matthew 24, verse 15, I believe it is, where the Antichrist will go into the middle of the temple and commit what he called the abomination of desolation. This is where they go and basically take the Ark of the Covenant out. He puts an idol of himself in the place of the Ark. And probably an earlier king, evil king, did something where he took an unholy animal, a female pig, a sow, and sacrificed his sow. He may do that also, as this earlier king did, and sprinkle it, the juices of this to be a desecration to the temple. He's going to do some kind of desecration similar to this, they think. And this will happen in the middle of the tribulation. So for the Antichrist to do that, there has to be an existing temple standing and operation going on with sacrifices. By the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist rules seven years. So three and a half years into it, there has to be a standing temple. I believe this Antichrist builds it right after he comes to power. But it could even be built before he comes to power. But it has to be built by the middle of the tribulation. As we look at the situation today, what are current temple preparations? They've already been looking for many years for the priests. They've also determined by checking their DNA, there's a certain genome they can check that only these qualified priests from the Kohanim, a certain group of Korah or Khan group of family, a family, a certain family in the, the Levi line, has a certain genome that means they're a priest. Now, all Levi serve God, but only certain of the Levi family the Khan family or Kohanim family could go into the temple. Others were guards in other areas, or musicians even, but these could go in the temple. So they're looking for certain people that have this DNA genome and asking would they be willing to. And the ones who are willing, they have several seminaries training them in how to serve and how to put up sacrifices and things, how to even play the music instruments, many things they're training them to do. So that's one thing. They've also made that menorah it's about six or seven foot tall, of 90 pounds of gold, standing a very expensive menorah. It's something like $3 million of gold, of solid gold, this menorah, to use this in the temple. And other implements, the priest garments, uh, trumpets, the harps, many of these things have made again. But they believe they must have the original ark. They can use other things. They can make them again. 
for the Ark of the Covenant they're looking for. They must have the original, they believe, for that. Where do you think the uh, future temple will stand? Well, there's many different possibilities. The main four possibilities I mentioned in the book. One is it's all going to be somewhere on the Temple Mountain itself, wherever it might be. And the Temple Mountain has always been in the same general location where they, they call the Temple Mountain now. Now, this is right now was taken over by the Arabs several years ago, somewhat in the Arabs' hands. But the Jews took it back in 1967. And this Temple Mount area has in the middle of it two different Muslim buildings. One is the Dome of the Rock, and the other is the Oscar Mosque, which both were originally churches, actually, and then take over by the Muslims. The Dome of the Rock is where people believe the temple will actually stand. There is four different possibilities. One is the north side, Dr. Asher Kaufman, which holds a north view, a northern view, possibly on the north side of it. And a little bit to the north, there's a Dome of the Spirits, where another escarpment of rock six up high. And that is considered by some to be the Holy of Holies. But that's the northern view in line with the eastern gate. Another view in line with the southern possibility below this is the Alcas Fountain, the washing fountain for the Arabs today, in front of the El Oska Mosque. In other words, between the Dome of the Rock and the Oscar Mosque. So we believe it will be there, more in line with another old bridge that used to cross over near that pinnacle of the temple uh, platform itself. Some people believe it's going to be the Dome of the Rock, this enlarged platform area in the middle. And that's the most common popular view. There's two different views of that, though. The rock in the middle, under the rock, of the, of the Dome of the Rock, I'm sorry, under the Dome of the Rock, the rock itself, the foundation stone. Some people believe that is the, where the Holy of Holies would be. So that's one view. And then others think, no, that's not the Holy of Holies. That would be the altar in front of the temple, because the altar also had a high rock platform it was standing on. So one of those two views, and we really can't tell which is correct until they are able to go up and do archaeological excavation. So they argue about it with measurements and things, and there's different pros and cons of certain views. I lay all of them out in my book, showing the possibilities, and really I lean personally to it. The Holy of Holies being at the foundation stone, but it's very close to the, the altar place. It's almost the same view. It's very close. So we'll know for sure once they can do archaeological excavation. This is certainly a dramatic time for Israel, to say the least, with all of the rockets coming in. I know Marvin and I were speaking this morning about the uh, continuing hostility against the Jewish state. When I talk to you and, you know, we're talking about the Temple Mount and about Jerusalem and so forth, I'm, I'm just once again reminded that the animosity, the anger, the rage against the Jewish state, there's got to be something more <laughs> there, something satanic, something devilish, something evil. This is all very, very significant. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much. God bless all of your, your listeners. The title of the book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. The Bible surpasses all the intriguing tales of wonder of the world's past. For in its pages are revealed the most beautiful, ancient, and powerful treasure of all, the search for the golden Ark of the Covenant and its accompanying temple treasures, as well as details on the rebuilding of the temple of God. Treasure and the coming temple of God. This book explores the quest for the lost Ark in 25 locations in 10 countries, including the floor plans and location of the Tribulation Temple, the vast difference with the Millennial Temple, insight into the relevance of Israel, and astounding features of the future kingdom. Join the search for the Ark 
the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the millennial temple will be rebuilt by God himself with all the world assisting him. Treasure and the Coming Temple of God by Lonnie Shipman. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Author and teacher Greg Patton comes now to encourage us during this special time of gleanings at Watchmen on the Wall. So how was it? Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, was it a good time? I pray that it was. What a exciting time of the year. And looking forward now to 2024, got some big plans. Let me ask you a question today, if I might. What is your attitude toward giving, maybe specifically gift giving? Are you one who delights in maybe selecting just the right thing, maybe just the right present? And then, of course, the excitement that comes when you see that person, well, open that gift, whatever it is. I'm always amazed, folks, that give to our ministry, wanting to see things go forth. Or maybe you're one of those where materialism often seems like it's really what the season is all about, and you're wondering whether you should practice gift-giving at all. You know, this time of year, Christmas especially, offers a wonderful opportunity to show love and appreciation to others. Although commercialism has corrupted the tradition of giving gifts to some degree, has it not? It's really not a good reason to abandon the practice to miss out on bringing joy to other people in all kinds of ways. People and well, ministries like your local Christian radio station or a national broadcast, certainly like Southwest Radio Church that we are heavily involved in. And I don't think there's a better time of the year to demonstrate the goodwill to people around us and so many great ministries. As we think about that first Christmas that we celebrate, it was characterized by giving. Oh, yes, it was. Look at some of the amazing gifts that marked our Savior's birth. In Luke chapter 1 there, starting at verse 26, Mary gave her body and her reputation. She willingly carried the baby Jesus in her womb, surrendered her life to the plan of God, and because she wasn't married, what happened to her reputation? Although her engagement to Joseph was as binding as marriage, to be found pregnant before the actual ceremony would have been proof of a great sin in other people's eyes and devastating for a young girl like Mary. And what did Joseph do there? Matthew chapter 1, when he discovered Mary was pregnant, he decided to send her away secretly so that she, she wouldn't be disgraced, wouldn't be embarrassed. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, explained that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and, and told him to take Mary as his wife. He obeyed. Caesar Augustus gave a decree. Oh, he did. The Roman emperor called for a census to accomplish his plan for taxing all the people, and although he thought it was his idea, God was using him to accomplish a divine purpose. The angel of the Lord gave an announcement there in Luke chapter 2. Upon hearing of the angelic announcement, the men hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby was lying in a manger. And after seeing Messiah, they couldn't keep the news to themselves, but told everyone what they had seen and heard. Gift giving, different kinds, of course. God gave the most in that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And most of the world at that time viewed this as the birth of just an ordinary child. 
But Mary and Joseph and a few others, they knew the real truth. He was indeed the Son of God who had come from heaven to be our Savior and Messiah. And then the ultimate gift that Jesus gave, the greatest giver was the baby in the manger. Christ gave up the glories of heaven, think about that, and came to earth in human form to give his life as a ransom for many. Our lives, too, should be characterized by, well, being generous, don't you think? I mean, not just this time of year, but all year round. It's, it's a part of our identity in Jesus Christ, and it ought to be our natural response to God's blessings to us and his provision. How much has God given you in 2023? God's all-encompassing generosity continually reminds us that he, Almighty God, is the source of everything we have. And the best thing we can do is share it with others. As we look to 2024, maybe you and I ought to think a little bit more about how we can extend our ways of giving. And I certainly know that your friends here at Southwest Radio Church would appreciate anything that you could do, my friend. There is always a need in ministry. I've been in radio for decades, and every Christian organization I've ever been with has a dire need. Talking with the folks at headquarters here for Southwest, we understand that our mission here at Southwest in Pakistan is under attack by the Muslims there and the prison outreach ministry. There are a lot of things happening here at Southwest. I, I think in terms of, again, the radio show and all the books that go out, etc., but there are several things that this ministry is involved in. You want to send some money to support those things? That would be great, my friend. The people around you need to know that salvation is available through Jesus Christ. The gospel is the best gift you could possibly give. And as always, whether you're hearing us on the radio or in person at one of the Southwest Radio Church conferences, you're going to hear this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was so excited in October, our meeting over there in Columbus, Ohio, Southwest Radio Church's Clarity of the Chaos, William Fetter, well-known name around the world. He gave his message and then a very clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with an invitation for you to be saved. And several people responded to that message of salvation through Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And back to giving, as always, my friend, I know Southwest Radio Church would be so very, very grateful for anything that you might do to, to help this ministry one more year. One of the oldest, of what the oldest in the United States of America, Radio Ministry, Southwest Radio Church. We indeed have been blessed, and we want to continue to be a blessing to others. If you could, my friend, help us. SouthwestRadioChurch.com. Get in touch, my friend. We would be eternally grateful. Maybe our message should be, let's do more in 2024. God bless. Treasure and the Coming Temple of God by Lonnie Shipman explores the quest for the lost ark in 25 locations in 10 countries, including the floor plans and location of the Tribulation Temple, the vast difference with the Millennial Temple, insight into the relevance of Israel, and astounding features of the future kingdom. Join the search for the ark, the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the Millennial Temple will be rebuilt by God himself with all the world assisting him. Treasure and the Coming Temple of God by Lonnie Shipman. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144.
you can always order on our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we discover how to live fearlessly for Christ with Ray Comfort. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries. It's supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.